You're listening to Keystone Cold Cases, a podcast where we reignite cold cases across Pennsylvania. Hey, it's Amanda. Hey, it's Chelsea. Hey, it's Grace. Hey, and it's Sarah. Today we are going to take a look at the case of Anna Marie Callahan. Anna Marie Callahan was a 16-year-old who had recently dropped out of Cornell Middle School when she went missing in 1995. She weighed about 80 pounds and was 4 foot 10. For reference, 80 pounds is the average weight range for children from ages 8 up until maybe 12 or 13. 80 kind of falls in the, the average. So being 16 and 80 pounds and 4'10", she was very petite. Um, it doesn't seem to me like she was malnourished or she was abused, um, but that she really was just petite. However, we'll talk a little bit later about some stuff that was going on with her that may have also played a little bit into why she was so small. Um, she technically lived in McKeesport, which is in Allegheny County, and it's a suburb of uh, Pittsburgh. But she had been staying in Bel Vernon with an acquaintance since she had dropped out of middle school. Um, first of all, the idea of dropping out of middle school blows my mind. Like, I, I teach middle schoolers, and it breaks my heart to think about that. Okay, so I have so many questions. Do we know why she dropped out? Where were her parents? Do we know anything about this person she was supposed to be staying with? Is it like her boyfriend? So we'll hit some of those a little bit harder as we go through. Um, we don't really honestly know too much. Um, there was an article that I read that said they were not identifying the person that she was with, but it seems like the family knew who it was. They just weren't putting the name out. And I'm not sure why. I don't know if it was somebody else that was under 18 and they couldn't release the name because it was a minor or if they just wanted to protect somebody or what the reason was. But it seemed very much like the family knew who it was, but just wasn't disclosing it. I can speculate why she may have dropped out. Uh, I mean, 16 is the age that you can drop out. So it may just be that she hit that age. Um, she was a sixth grader, which you actually cannot be 16 in sixth grade now. Um, if you are 16 at the beginning of a school year, you have to be in ninth grade. Um, even if you've failed previous years, it's one of it. There's some law or something. I don't know. All I know is that at the beginning of my school year, if I have any 16 year olds and I'm an eighth grade teacher, if I have any 16 year olds, I have to report it and they get moved to ninth grade. Um, I don't know all the reasons, but anyway, she was in sixth grade and she was 16. So I think she just didn't really care about school. It wasn't important. Um, she did also have a lot of truancy issues. Um, there were fines that had to be paid for truancy. Um, and if you don't know what that is, because honestly, until I was a teacher, I had no clue. Um, truancy is just not attending school. Um, I know that we actually got a letter because we like to vacation a lot. And, um, we take educational trips, if you'd like to say, and 
you can only have so many of them a year. So truancy plays into effect, um, with that because it's, I think they can only approve five a year and we typically do more than five a year. Well, I think it's strange because I have a friend who gets truancy paperwork literally all the time. But when I think about it, like before COVID with Landon, uh, my son, Landon, uh, he has really rough days. He, I swear, gets sick. If you look at him wrong, we missed so many days the one year and never once did I get a letter. No, I'm not sure. I know we had like a huge issue with the school he has in Batego. And if they see anything on it, they'll send him home. Even if we take him to a doctor that night, put on the medication and like it dies down. If there's even a little bit, they'll send him home. So I'm not sure if it's like they don't want him there because he's like, you know, I guess it's different than with vacationing. But the one year is like almost like 40 days. (laughs) Wow. So technically, students are not supposed to miss more than 10 percent of the school year. For most schools, for any public school in Pennsylvania, that's 180 school days. So they cannot miss any more than 18 days total. And it's supposed to be excused and unexcused days. You know, it's not just like 18 unexcused. It's if you have that many that even are excused, then it can become a truancy problem. Um I deal with truancy a lot at my school just because we're such a big school um, and we're internet based. So, you know, if there's a huge storm that rolls through and families can't log in because power's out or whatever reason, um, we do see a lot of that. Um, So I'm not sure about like the number of educational trips you can take, but I know that there's a rule about 10% of the school year. Like you cannot miss more than 10% of the school year. And if a student goes into school and then is sent home, then it doesn't count as an absence. It's an early dismissal, which is different. Just like if they come in late and it's a tardy, it's different. It's very nitpicky. Um, but as far as Anna goes, she had missed, I believe it was, she had missed 30 days of school um, whenever the fine was paid. And even the wording in the article about that fine was really weird because it said a man was ordered to pay this fine because of the amount of days she had missed. It didn't say her father. It didn't identify the man. I don't know if maybe it's the same person that she was staying with in Belvernon. Because it's the same, like, we know who it was. They were fined. They had to pay this fine. It's on record, but it's not revealed in the articles. So I'm not sure if it was a boyfriend, if it was a father figure, if it, I have no idea. Um, but we do know that she did have some truancy issues. Um, and I did try to find a little bit more information on the school. And when I looked it up, um, the district is based in Coriopolis, which is another suburb of Pittsburgh. And right now they only have an elementary school and a high school. It's a K to six elementary and a seven to 12 high school. So I'm not even sure where the middle school part comes in if it was just Because she was in sixth grade, so she would have been the top of the elementary school if they were considering that middle school, or if 
the articles that were written that said the phrase middle school, maybe they just assumed like, oh, it's sixth grade. So that's middle school. So I'm not 100% sure. But um, anyway, the point is she wasn't attending school. Um, she was staying in Bel Vernon with a friend. And then I found some conflicting reports on the living situation. Some say that she was actually living in Bel Vernon with this friend, but others say that she was still living at home with her parents, but traveled very often to Bel Vernon to be with this friend. But regardless, we know that she was in that area. Um, Bel Vernon is the same general area as McKeesport. It's in Fayette County instead of being in Allegheny County, but it's only about a half hour drive between the two of them. She was also known, and this is where I throw some more speculation in for why she may have dropped out of school. She was also known to be involved with drugs and she was a sex worker. Um, it comes into play with kind of the general theories that we'll talk about later on. Uh, we really don't know the details of her drug use or the frequency of it or what type of sex work she was involved in the articles all just said prostitution but that can be a large conglomerate of different things um but like i said we do know that she had repeated truancy issues and at one point her mom actually had to serve 10 days in jail for curfew violations because anna was found downtown too late like after curfew um which seems kind of silly to me if your child is out late that you have to do jail time and not the child but unless i'm misinterpreting how it was written in that article it seems a little odd um so that's just a little bit about like anna and her situation and kind of her family um on october 15th 1995 anna's body was discovered on the bank of the monongahela about 10 feet away from the water in Bel Vernon. Now, I saw two different stories. One says that she was found by a fisherman, um, and I did find an article that actually gave a name, so I'm more inclined to believe that. Um, and the other story is that she was found by a CSX employee because there are railroad tracks right near where she was found, um, but also that she was found leaning up against a sapling. Um, it appeared that whoever was responsible for abandoning her body had attempted to get her into the river by rolling her down the bank. And that's what investigators said, um, but that she was stopped by a tree. And then ultimately, that is what helped lead to her discovery, like they were trying to get her in the water, but she didn't make it the whole way down to the water and got caught up on the sapling. Okay, so I picture like... When you're growing up and you like log roll down a hill as a kid, is that what we're thinking? I mean, that's kind of crude to think of, but, but then it also sounds like she was propped up sitting under the trees. So like, did he maybe like log roll her down and then said, oh, it's too far and just prop her up in the tree? So that's kind of what I'm thinking. Um, and I looked at a satellite view of that area and i'll talk a little bit more about that when i talk about the theories but it doesn't seem like there's enough room to like i mean i grew up i had a huge hill in my backyard that was like the neighborhood sledding hill and we would log roll down that 
but it was huge. And I also grew up in a town right along a river and the riverbank wasn't like that at all. Um, so I'm not sure. I'm kind of picturing, um, like a small child that tries to do a log roll, but can't really control themselves and they start rolling and then start like somersaulting and flipping. And that's kind of what I'm imagining. And she just kind of landed against a tree and maybe just happened to land that like her back was against the tree rather than, you know, wrapping around it or, or something. Um, but it's, I mean, it's possible that she was placed there and didn't just roll there. So did she have her back up against the tree, like in a kind of sitting position? Is that what we're saying? I couldn't find exact details. Um, just that one of the articles said she was leaning up against a sapling. So I kind of, in my head, I assume it as like back against the tree, but it very well could just be that she was somehow held by that sapling. Okay. Um, and the fact that it was a sapling also goes to show like how small she was like a baby tree could stop her body that's how small she was and that kind of blows my mind this episode of keystone cold cases is sponsored in part by coco counseling center in hershey pa two blocks off of chocolate ave coco counseling center is a christ-based counseling center specializing in therapy for individuals couples and families Mental health is important to us here at KCC, and great therapists are the first step in seeking treatment for mental health. Coco Counseling Center provides just that. Highly qualified therapists who are real people and who have experienced the real world. For more information about appointments, insurance coverage, and areas of expertise, check out CocoCounselingCenter.com. That's C-O-C-O-A CounselingCenter.com or call 717-298-1366. So it was evident that she had been strangled. There was an electrical extension cord still around her neck when they discovered the body. Her hands were also bound, I believe, by duct tape. And the part that really gets me is that somebody had put flowers in her hands as well. So to me, it definitely doesn't sound like someone threw her down a slope. More sounds like they posed her just for the fact that she was holding flowers. There's no way with the trajectory down a slope that she'd still have them or they wouldn't completely be like crushed or anything. Um, and I read that killers do this to like, they do the staging to startle investigators or onlookers to pleasure themselves as like a perverted, um, thing in their mind that they have to do or just to mislead the investigation with like evidence to like take them away from other things. But I'm curious if any DNA was found on any of the items with her, like the cord, the bounds or the flowers. So I know that there was some DNA and it has been put into CODIS. Um, I don't think it's specified in any of the articles that I found where the DNA came from, but there was DNA that came from somewhere that was not her that was entered into CODIS. Um, there obviously have not been any hits at this point, but um, there was some DNA found. Um, and I, I think it's a good point you make about the flowers because okay. I mean, if you're holding flowers and you log roll down a hill, the pedal, most of the petals I would think would fall off or 
it wouldn't look great. But there's definitely that idea of presentation with the fact that she was holding flowers. Maybe he was cheap and they were fake. Well, okay, maybe that too. But when you think about it, like, I don't know, I'm a huge physics person. Like, if something is going a certain speed and it is specifically not stopped, like, her body was stopped, maybe, what if her hands weren't stopped by the tree? They would keep going. It's kind of how, like, if you have groceries sitting in your car and you make a turn, they keep going until they are physically stopped because that's just, it's physics. So, to me, if she's rolling down a hill, I mean... A body is heavy. You're going down. You're not like bracing yourself as if we would, you know, log ro- roll down a hill. Right. You could probably go pretty fast until you're stopped. It kind of reads to me as if it was kind of written off. One of those things where the police are like, this is what happened, even though it doesn't really make sense. But they're like, okay, cut and dry. Someone threw her down the riverbank and, you know, not looking too deeply into it. Yeah. And I think I think there were pieces that we don't know. Um, And obviously there's pieces we don't know because everything's not released. But I say that because one of the articles I read had commentary from an interview with one of the state troopers that was involved in the investigation. And it was phrased something along the lines of that insinuated, you know, based on evidence that we have, based on XYZ, we believe this. So there was some sort of basis, but it was a vague basis in the article. So I don't know, you know, maybe there were, you know, tracks that showed that she had rolled down or, you know, if she had been dragged There would be ruts, but if she, you know, rolled, there might just be some bushes that got flattened or I have no idea. Um, But I don't know if maybe there was something like that. Um, But there was something that made them believe that was it. And maybe you're right. Maybe it was just, "Eh, she's there. I bet this is how it happened. But there was something in the wording that made me think there was more that we just don't know. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. So it's who knows. Um, Now, she was supposed to return home that night at 1130, but did not. Um, I guess there was a conversation and it was kind of a third person view, you know, fairly removed from the conversation in one of the articles that said, you know, someone told someone that she was supposed to be home at 1130 and wasn't. percent sure the legitimacy of that but um she apparently was supposed to be home at 11:30 and did not come home she was seen roughly 24 hours before she disappeared uh at least in the one of the articles that i read they said that there was a public sighting of her about 24 hours before she was discovered. And that public sighting was of her playing along the bank of the Monongahela, very close to where she was discovered on October 15th. Um, And that, the fact that she was playing along the river also kind of tugs on my heart. Um, Again, because this is the age my students are. And I see so much in them 
that leans toward, I want to be independent. I'm excited for high school. I get to choose my courses. A lot of my kids this summer were getting to, you know, choose vacation or have days that they could do things. And it wasn't under their parents. But at the same time, I also see that they're a little bit unsure of the world. Um, they do just want to have fun. They want to be silly. They always want to play games, you know? And I think she was at this stage in her life where she was kind of between those two things. And, you know, yeah, she was using drugs. She was using drugs. She was working in ways that we don't typically see 16 year olds working. Um, but she was also playing along the riverbank a day before she was strangled to death. I mean, um, I don't know. And maybe she wasn't playing. Maybe that was just someone's interpretation. But uh, I couldn't find who it was that saw her the day before. And I couldn't find any information about whether she was there alone or if she was there with someone else. So very limited information on that. Um, she was seen at her mom's home by her mother and stepfather the day before. Uh, but this was before someone had seen her along the river. It seems like her parents were like semi-involved with her life. I'm just not sure. Like 16 years old is just so young to almost have this. The way that I interpret it is she can go as she pleases. Like, I don't know. I feel like it hit that stage when like tons of people were like getting more murdered in like the 70s, you know, where people started getting more strict on having their kids out and stuff like that. I just, it baffles my mind. Like, I I don't know. Yeah. And it, it seemed like, I mean, obviously this wasn't the first time that Anna hadn't come home. Um, you know, there were other ongoing issues. So I'm really not sure. Uh, I really couldn't find much about the family. The one article did have some quotes from the aunt but even at that point, it wasn't like her parents. So I'm I'm not sure how close they were or um, how much they interacted in each other's lives beyond sharing a house. Um, so I'm I'm curious, too. I wonder how much they knew about her activities and her friends and who she spent time with. Um, I think that's a really good point. And I think it's easy for us to to look, as always, through the lens of 2021. And, you know, oh, well, we know so much more about this, that and the other. I actually, when I was researching this, kept thinking, oh, well, this was in like the 70s or 80s. And I'm like, no, this was mid 90s. Like, I keep thinking it was longer ago for some reason. Um, and maybe it's just that she was just kind of in and out and did her own thing at age 16. Um, now, Apparently, the family wasn't too worried when she didn't come back that night because it was not abnormal for her to be out for all hours of the night or to just not come home at night. So it sounds like she wasn't staying with this person then? Yeah, that's I'm really confused about where she was technically living. Um, I don't know if maybe she just spent a lot of time in Belvernon and she was technically, you know, legally living at her parents' house, um, or what, but she was at least expected home that night and they referred to it as home. So I'm assuming that was her address, but maybe she just didn't spend a whole lot of time there. Um, I couldn't find too much 
clarity on that. So I'm not entirely sure. Now, when she was found, she was originally thought to be much younger because of how petite she was. Um, but she was also found in clothing that appeared to be too big or at least very baggy on her. Uh, she was dressed in a white shirt, a black and red jacket, high top sneakers and white pants. Is this how people described her, like what she was wearing when they saw her the day prior, or is this different? There was not a specific description of clothing that I could find, so I'm not sure. I just, I wonder if they're even her clothes. I mean, for someone that is a sex worker, tight clothes really doesn't sound... Those are clear heels. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I had that same thought, Chelsea. Um, And maybe maybe this was a boyfriend that she was with. And I mean, I don't think I ever took any of my boyfriend's pants and put them on. But I would steal I steal my husband's sweatshirts and T-shirts. And again, I don't take his pants. That's a lie. I steal his sweatpants a lot. But like not. I was going to say, I steal my sweatpants, too. Yeah, I do steal his sweatpants. But, I mean, it's a a normal thing, I think, to, you know, share clothes. But if, like you said, Chelsea, you know, that's really not if she was trying to work and make money. You're probably not going to attract many customers with super baggy clothing. Yeah. This episode of Keystone Cold Cases is sponsored in part by SNR Midnight Designs, a family-owned small business known for their custom and personalized crafts. I personally have ordered from SNR and not only got great quality sweatshirts for our family, but also had a great experience working with Sam and Robbie. In addition to clothing, SNR will also customize cups and signs, and they aim to make crafts that make smiles. Check out SNR Midnight Designs on Facebook and Etsy today. That's S ampersand R Midnight Designs on Facebook and SR Midnight Designs with no ampersand or spaces on Etsy. Now, like I said earlier, investigators were able to obtain DNA and enter it into CODIS, which is the FBI's system of combined DNA information system. Um, So that's where CODIS comes from. And if any matches are ever entered, it will obviously show the match. But at this point, there has not been a match. Um, And like I said before, I have no idea where the DNA came from. But there was DNA that did not belong to Anna that was found. So that has been entered into the system. Now, um, state police trooper John F. Marshall has spoken about the case, and he says that many of the same suspects they had before are the suspects that they are still chasing today. Um, Having the DNA was a good step, but they have not been able to obtain DNA from all suspects due to most of the evidence pointing one way or another being circumstantial. So they haven't been able to get warrants for DNA because it's all just circumstantial. There's no... I don't want to say legitimate evidence, but there's no hard evidence that um, someone would be involved. And I guess they can't get it then. I don't know that much. So I feel like circumstantial evidence is like not ever taken seriously. And I sound like a broken record because I've talked about the case, the 
um, oxygen show, oxygen show, cold justice <laughs> multiple times, but the majority of their cases are circumstantial. And the theory is, is that like, if you have enough of it and she uses like pencils in the thing to demonstrate, like you have this piece of circumstantial evidence and you have this one and you have this one. And when you start to add them all up, it's like, it creates a pretty solid case. So I'm just wondering how much they have. And if maybe like they're scared to present it because it's not like that hard DNA proof. Potentially. Um, I think a big part of it too is that A, we're looking at a 16 year old sex worker and there's probably a lot that is not known about her because I mean, there's not too many 16 year old sex workers that keep a diary of every person they see and every you know, activity of every day. Um, not many 16 year olds in general that do that, but I think part of it is the circumstantial evidence they have boils down to, Oh yeah, she knew this person. Like that's not enough to get a warrant for DNA. Um, but I mean, I'm, I'm not a hundred percent sure. I mean, you know, it might be kind of gross to say, but she was a sex worker. So she could have had you know, quite a bit of different people's DNA on her. So, you know, even though it's DNA evidence, it could still be maybe considered circumstantial, like considering her situation, it doesn't even mean the person was there with her, you know, at that time. Yeah, that's true. Um, And I think if they were able to find a DNA match, it would just be someone that you know, it, they wouldn't automatically become a suspect. It would just be a person of interest like, hey, your DNA was found near her. So you had to have been near her. You know, you might not be the one that did anything, but you can at least add to the timeline sort of thing. They just haven't been able to to find that match, to find that right person with that information. Yeah. Um, initially, it was thought and... It's basically still the same theory today that her murderer comes from one of three different categories, either a transient, a known sex offender, or someone that she was known to hang out with, Um, which, again, seems really vague and kind of seems like most cases we look at, it's like, well, yeah, it's either someone they knew, someone that was a danger to them, or someone that kind of came in and then left. But uh, Trooper Marshall did say, even though the case is considered cold because of the amount of time that has passed without identification of her murderer or any strong leads, he still believes they are getting closer all the time and that tips and calls are still coming in regarding this case. Um, And one of the articles that I saw was very strongly pointing toward the possibility that they are like one or two tips away. Um, It didn't come out and say that, but it was kind of the impression I got. So looking a little bit more into the theories, um, like I said, they have those three groups of people that they think Anna's murderer could fit into either some sort of transient, a known sex offender, or, you know, some sort of friend or acquaintance, just someone that she knew. Um, And like I said, that's fairly typical for most of those unsolved cases that we see, especially, you know, from this time frame, because we didn't have, you know, texting records and Snapchat and Facebook and we couldn't, you know, pull all that sort of data 
I feel like it's not really narrowed down to anybody other than fam- like family. They don't think her family killed her. But other than that, it's a pretty broad range of of people. Right. Right. And it seems like there are more specific people, but for legal reasons, it couldn't be disclosed. So um, there just really aren't any specific names that have come out to the public. Um, so a lot of thoughts here are just going to be purely speculative. So what we know is that she was either killed by someone that she did know or someone that she didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Got it. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) Um, Like I said, it's super broad. But um, I mean, the the trooper made a point to say that. um, And it it was mentioned in that article. So (laughs) it must mean something more than how we're taking it. But um, yeah, I'm sure. At just yep, it was someone. I'm sorry, is, but it's like <laughs> yeah, no, I, just, I can't because it's literally like it's it's not mom or dad, but it could be anyone else. Like, why right. don't you say we have no leads? Not it could be these three groups of people, but that's everybody else. <laughs> or even just say because it, it does seem like they have a group of people that they're looking at. Like they have people of interest that they are looking into, but then just leave it at that, right? Like, I i mean, I can understand because she was involved in sex work at such a young age, she probably often found herself around transients and potentially known sex offenders because they're the people that, you know, if you're older and adult age and a sex worker, you probably would avoid them whereas being 16 maybe she was more likely to say yes to them it kind of reminds me of the gary redner case in that it seems like the police probably know a lot more than they're releasing just you know to make sure nothing messes up their case so that that could be why it's just so vague yeah i that's that's a good point. Um, and there's not a whole lot of coverage on the case. There's really not much from family. Um, and, you know, there was the typical her aunt said she was such a great girl line. But like other than that, we don't know anything, really. But um, the family didn't do it, according to the police. Well, that's about all we know. Right. Um now they're not on the list of three well that's true that's true um unless you technically wanted to wind them into the people that she spent time near category so (laughs) who knows who knows um now it could make sense being 16 that if she was around uh certain populations of people especially if there was an older person involved that she would become attached psychologically it matches up with where your brain is in development at that time of your life now that's also why that high school like 
mid teens to early 20s age is also where you see a lot of addictions and attachments in one way, shape or form, whether it be drugs, alcohol, sex, relationships um, or something else. If something gives you endorphins, you like it and you chase it. Um, so it very well could be that she was just very attached to a specific person and that that led to her death ultimately. Um, so basically if she was in a group of people who were transients or registered sex offenders, then she very well may have just felt secure because she had that feeling from that person, even though they weren't trustworthy to others. Um, who knows? According to an article from the Herald Standard, Trooper Marshall has posited that, quote, the suspect was someone she was familiar with and likely comfortable with, adding that a scenario he thinks is plausible is that someone in Callahan's life wanted to take a friendship to a sexual level with her and was rejected. But he said until the case is solved, the motive will remain unknown, um, which also feels like a general statement that applies to most things. Um, where we typically don't know the motive until we know who did something. Um, but I just, I don't know, as my brain kind of rolled with this in thinking about the fact that she was seen on that bank the day before and then was rolled down the hill or somehow ended up, you know, propped up against that tree. I have to think that someone took her somewhere or at least that she had left that area either of her own agreement or not, but then that she was placed back in that area. But it seems weird to me that she would be taken back to a place where she was known to have been. Um, now, one source said that the body was found near 4th Street and Water Street, about halfway down the hill of the embankment. And this is the piece that I looked up and uh, saw the satellite image from. But it'll be posted on our blog as well for the listeners. Um, like I said, I looked it up. The town has railroad tracks between the buildings and the river. I couldn't really tell how steep it was or how much space there was. But it really doesn't look like there was a whole lot of space. Um, but of course, I don't know what buildings existed there 26 years ago. But it's possible that there would have been fewer houses, fewer people. So it might have been easier to just kind of drop and and run essentially um anyway all of this to say my question my thinking is how would someone get her from this location and get her back to this location without being seen or if she didn't leave the location why was she seen along the bank of the river and then was found 10 feet away I don't, or is it just a total chance that she wound up at the same spot? And then finally, there is a general theory that she may also be connected to a string of missing women who were discovered deceased along bodies of water, uh, one of whom was found less than three miles from where Anna was found. However, uh, those four cases all happened within six months of each other and 18 years before Anna's. So, there is some speculation that there might be a relation. I don't think it's the same as, you know, we look at like smiley face killers where they're all happening in a, 
a certain time period, not four of them six months apart. And then 18 years later, something else happens. Um, I do plan on covering those cases in a later episode. It was just way too much to dive into um, as part of this theory. And I want to give all of those victims their own um, episode, not just kind of piggybacking on another one. But um, that's really all there is as far as theories, um, at least that we know of. I mean, just this idea that it was probably someone that she knew and something happened and she got strangled. I mean, that it was not an accident unless it was like autoerotic asphyxiation gone wrong or like BDSM gone wrong to have an electrical cord around your neck. With an electrical cord? Yeah, that's it. It does. It seems intentional, right? Like it wasn't an accident. The duct tape around the hands, I could kind of see like you're young. You don't have access to, I don't know, handcuffs or something. You want to use duct tape. But like the the electrical, the electrical cord is is what really throws me off. Now, it makes it seem like there was definitely intention there. It wasn't accidental. So just a lot of questions that we holding flowers. And that's that's the post part. Like I. Yeah, there's something intentional to it. And there's so much more that we don't know. And I wonder how much of it is brushed aside or ignored because of her occupation and drug use. But then I also wonder how much of it is just because she was 16 and they can't reveal too much information about minors. But I don't know. You said she was into drugs, too. So, like... Uh Uh-huh. I don't think a drug dealer that killed her would put flowers in her hand, but I wonder if something along the lines of that had something to do with it. I just, like, I can't imagine a drug deal gone wrong winds up with an electrical extension cord, duct tape, and flowers in the hands. The, The flowers in the hands makes it seem personal, and I think... You know, we talk about that a lot where strangulation is definitely more personal. And like this other person that we don't know if they were, if she was staying with or she wasn't staying with. We don't know if it's a guy or a girl. Yeah. And like if she is on drugs, maybe the person that she was staying with was on drugs. And maybe it was a sex thing that went wrong. And he felt bad afterwards when he woke up and realized he strangled her with an extension cord. Yeah. And that's. Very possible. Regrets. No regrets, which is what my husband and I always say because of the tattoo trend of people getting tattoos that say no regrets that are spelled wrong. So, sorry. Oh, I thought you got it from that movie, Meet the Millers. I think that's where it originally Yeah, oh my gosh, it was the funniest part ever. I've never even heard of that movie, so... What is this podcast? Are you kidding me? That is, like, the funniest movie ever. Wait, you've never heard of that movie? I don't think so. For real? I've never seen it either. All right, movie night at Sarah's house. I'll walk down. It's pretty funny. (laughs) Yeah, just walk over. We'll watch it. Um, Hop on my (laughs) huffy. Shave your legs first. (laughs) Jesus. Christ. 
I'm so tired and I feel like I'm at that point where like everything's <laughs> funny, which is a problem when you're talking about children being murdered. Yeah. yeah. Um <laughs> All right, I'll wrap this up. Um, if you have any information that could aid investigators in solving this crime, please reach out to police at 724-439-7111 or PA Crime Stoppers at 1-888-404-TIPS, which is uh, 1-888-404-8477. Additionally, uh, Trooper Marshall said the Fayette County Crime Stoppers is offering up to a $1,000 reward for information leading to an arrest in the case. That's all we have for this episode of the Keystone Cold Cases podcast. Please remember never to reach out to family or friends of the victims, only to law enforcement if you have any tips. This episode was researched and hosted by me, Sarah. Find all of our sources, social media connections, and contact information at kccpod.com. Theme music and production assistance from Darren Makins. Join us again next week for another case to sleuth out.